Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? All the things that live in the unseen. So you know when sometimes we're going like to a big meeting at work and they do an icebreaker in the beginning, and sometimes the icebreaker that they do is some version of two truths and a lie. So two things about somebody that are true and one thing that's not. And then everybody else in the room who thinks that they know this person has to guess what the thing is that's a lie. I am having the opportunity over the next several months to work with a couple of big organizations, the County of San Diego and the United American Indian Incorporated, and which is sort of an odd name, but there it is. And I'm getting to do icebreakers in both of those meetings. And these are big organizations. And so they asked me maybe if we could do that for people to get to know each other better. And it has been so interesting finding out all of these things that people who have worked with each other for years and maybe even decades, didn't know about their coworkers, which ties right into my guest because there's something about her that I didn't know that in just a second, after I introduce her to y'all, I am going to geek out about because it's a super cool thing about her. At least I think it's a super cool thing. Okay. So Erin Samuel Martinez is a diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement champion. She is a bilingual advocate, an educator, a mentor, and an author. Her passion is working with marginalized teens and making sure that they have all the resources and opportunities to be empowered, encouraged, enriched, and supported. Erin was always taught that one who learns must also teach. Therefore, she feels like it's her duty and mission to work with and empower marginalized youth and communities because she got a hell of an education. So check this out, people. She holds a BA in international relations with a minor in Spanish and Latin American studies. So did you catch that all? She has a BA in international relations and a minor in Spanish and Latin American studies from Spelman College. She also has a culinary arts degree from LA Trade Tech College and a master's in 
intercultural studies with an emphasis on children at risk from the Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much, Janine. I have the chills. Like, that was the best intro ever. (laughs) Thank you. I'm honored to be here. (laughs) You are welcome. And I am thrilled to have you here. And I'm thrilled to have you here for many, many reasons. And what we're going to talk about next is maybe the least important reason for you to be here. And I was just blown out when I saw it. So a little bit of backstory. My husband, so it will be 10 years this fall when we first met. Oh, and we met, right? Congratulations. Yeah, we met online through a dating app. And because my husband is also a smarty pants, he (laughs) went to Caltech and is an engineer. And so he had figured out that women will be interested in a man, especially a black man, which my husband is, who knows how to cook. And so he had all these pictures on his profile of him cooking. And (laughs) smart smart fish. So he hooked me. And in the beginning of our dating, he would make me meals and he is in fact a very good cook. And he loves to watch competition cooking shows. And I thought that his love of competition cooking shows was about the cooking. His love of competition cooking (laughs) shows is about the competition. (laughs) (laughs) He would watch if there was a way to make paint drying into a competition, he would watch it. He loves like sort of, I don't see my husband on the weekends because he's watching all of the sports that have (laughs) ever been invented (laughs) on television. Just going down the list. He's going down all all the list. I've walked in and he's watching ping pong. I've Uh walked in and he's watching. He's a huge NASCAR racing fan. Oh, fun. Which I find really interesting for a black man because, you know, this is not really their traditional demographic. There's not many of us in the NASCAR. There are not. And now there's, in fact, a driver whose name is Bubba. Fascinating. Right. right? Bubba. Bubba, who's a NASCAR driver driving on the circuit, who's very good. So it's just all fascinating. You know, humans, we are. Yes. Yes. So he got me thinking that he was a big cooker. Turns out he's not. He really (laughs) would prefer never to cook a meal ever. So mostly (laughs) I do all the cooking. Okay. Uh (laughs) He got you and now it flipped. (laughs) Now it has flipped. Okay. (laughs) And the sneaky thing that I found out about you that you would be yes. very good at two truths and a lie <laughs> is that yes. you got to participate in the great food truck race with Tyler Florence. I did. One of his favorite shows. Oh my gosh. I love that. So how was that? Like it looks pretty damn grueling. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. It truly was. I think it's the craziest and probably one of the greatest things I've done in my life outside of getting married. Like yeah. <laughs> you gotta throw that in. You gotta right, throw exactly, that in exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and empowering the kids, maybe, you know, but, exactly. but yeah. this is a really exactly. cool thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Most recent things. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And this was so we were on season four. I think oh wow. So a number of years ago. 
So yeah, like yeah. about nine years ago now. Yeah. So I feel like the show has gotten even like much cooler, but it's a seven week show and you're literally on the road driving that whole time. Like every week you're driving multiple days and it's, you're working. I think people see that show and they're like, it looks crazy, it's but so like, much fun. No. it's so much fun. And I'm like, well, yeah, it was fun, but we got one day off a week. You right. know, it wasn't like we were just partying it up the whole time, you know, <laughs> but I will say as people get eliminated, the hotels get nicer, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I'll say that was really great. Start out at the Motel 6 and you end up at the Hilton. <laughs> exactly. We made it. <laughs> so what was the theme of your truck? So we were the slideshow truck. So we made gourmet sliders, fries and sides. Nice. And we were like the LA team because you know there's always like a California yep. team. Yep. And so we were like the theme was slideshow. So we had like movie slides on the side of our truck, like the Hollywood background in the yep. back, the letters. Yeah. So it was, you know, playing on the LA theme. It was a really, really cool truck. And, and who were you with? Who were your two teammates? So I was with my chef mentor, who's still just like He's family to me. Chef Daz, Daryl Smith, he is actually, he's a chef. Yes. And in the industry still and doing some incredible things. And so around that nine years ago, I was just finishing my culinary program and I had sous chef for him and his restaurant was Hollywood uh-huh. for about six or seven months. And he, he's actually been on Next Food Network Star on Food oh. Network. He had been on another I've show. I've seen that show too. Yes. <laughs> These are like classic Food Network shows, right? Like they're staples on that channel. Absolutely. And they actually called him to be on the show. He didn't audition, which was really cool because they were like, hey, we want dads to do this. And I was the first phone call he made. And I want you to be on the team with me. Like, oh, that's cool. So that was really cool. And it's me and his friend, Maurice. He's also cooked with before. So it was the two of us. And I'll never forget that day when he called me. I was driving and I don't remember where I was driving to. I think while I was on the phone, I just kept driving and I was like, I don't know where I'm going anymore. I'll totally do this. I don't know where I am, but I'm going to find my way back. And And I'm on a high. I'm on a high. This is like the coolest thing. So it was so much fun. I mean, yeah. And so I got to, I got to ask how far did you make it through the seven weeks? So we got third place. Oh, wow. Yeah. We made it really far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we went to so many, <laughs> we went to so many random places like Pocatello, Idaho. <laughs> we went to Rapid City, South Dakota. Awesome. Yeah. Like places you would never have been. No, no. Minneapolis. I would love Minneapolis. Yeah. Though. That's where Prince, Prince's house is. I love Prince. So all things that. <laughs> <laughs> but we went to those places. It was truly incredible. Like I'm so grateful for that experience. And yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, fun. Okay, cool. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thanks for letting me geek out and geek out on my husband's behalf. I, I... <laughs> of course, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into a little bit of the meat of what you do. I know that you co-wrote. Do I have that right? Did you co-write yes. it or did you write it all by yourself? I co-wrote it. Okay. You Mm -hmm. co-wrote a wonderful piece that Mm -hmm. is about helping young people really understand and get their arms around the whole world of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. 
Right. Right. That came up because of your work at Fuller Seminary. Is that correct? Yes, because of my work at Fuller Seminary and particularly my work with Fuller Youth Institute. And so tell me a little bit about Fuller Youth Institute. Yeah, so Fuller Youth Institute is kind of like, it's an arm of Fuller Theological Seminary. Fuller, uh-huh. We call it Big Fuller. It's Fuller <laughs> is the big, the big dome. Yep. <laughs> and then Fuller Youth Institute is like the nonprofit arm of that. So Fuller Youth Institute turns research into resources. We do a lot of research at Fuller Youth Institute. Yeah. And from there, we put out resources for nonprofits, churches, faith-based organizations for how to better work with, disciple, retain youth in their youth ministries and their youth programs. And we have a lot of grant-based projects that we do with different churches like all around the U.S. and some internationally that we have in order to help these organizations with their youth programs. And we had one project in particular called the Labs Project is Living a Better Story. That's what it stands for. We had 15 churches in California and 15 in Chicago. So there are two different cohorts. And we actually did this super huge interviewing process of what we called Wakanda Ministries, like from Black Panther. Uh-huh. We called them Wakanda Ministries because we wanted to find different, like I said, faith-based organizations, non-faith-based, just different, really unique spaces all around the U.S. doing amazing work with young people. So yeah. we found like coffee shops doing like amazing work with young people, like art, art spaces, like art stores that have amazing programs with youth and teach them how to do murals and all of that stuff. Huh. Or just different unique things that yeah. we can take from and work with them, interview yep. them. And we actually have a few video projects that we've done with them in order to take those back to our churches and see like, these are the different things that people are doing all over the place that you could use and take into your churches and your organizations in order to better serve your young people. So when it's young people, it's also young adults. Like there's not a lot of programs, especially in the church for young adults, like yeah. for an emerging adults, you know, the, <laughs> the gray area of like yep. 25 to 34, where right. it's like you're not married, but you're single, you're out of college. Like where is our mentoring? Where is yeah. our mentoring into? Where does that lie? And so that's also a grant project that is just starting. And I think one of my colleagues just put out a book. It's Yam, Young Adult Ministry Now is the book that he just put out. And it's all about trying to, what do we do to help that community? Like the older young people (laughs) that are in that gray area stage that isn't always focused on look to, you know, you're not pouring into them. You're kind of like, well, how are you going to help the high schoolers? Like, well, no, we're still trying to figure out where we are. <laughs> Who's going to help us? <laughs> can I have a hug? Like, yeah, where exactly. can we go? <laughs> I'll take a hug. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. and it's so interesting. So I have two goddaughters whose mother, unfortunately, just passed away. It was a very good friend. Oh, of I'm so sorry. Thank you. And they are 18 and 20, mm-hmm. these young women. And thankfully my friend and her now ex-husband. So both of these girls are young black women and Mm -hmm. were adopted as one as an infant and one when she was five. They are biological half-sisters. The parents are white. And so Mm -hmm. they decided to create an intentional community around these girls Mm -hmm. that is mostly people of color and me. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it's been really amazing, actually. I mean, this community was created around these girls 18 years ago. Wow. And this community with the death of their mom has really been rallying around the girls and yeah. really helping them sort of both mourn the passing of their mom, but also really think about their next stages in life. One of them is really close to their dad. The other one, unfortunately, isn't. So there's been a lot of working among the actual adults about, you sure. know, how do we help this young woman who's yeah. 18 and legally an adult, but nowhere near ready to be adulting. And it's been a really interesting opportunity to sort of look back on the phase of that life for myself right. and think about like how incredibly ill-prepared I was at those ages. Thankfully, I had parents who were alive, are still alive, thankfully, and are both actually big fans of this podcast. So hi, of mom course, <laughs> <laughs> I know they're so proud of you. <laughs> they are. It's actually, it's one of the wonderful things about mm -hmm. having parents who live a long life is that right. they get to see all the different phases of their right. children as we grow and evolve. Right. But that period of life between 18 and sort of our early 30s, right, where in many ways, I think figuring out who we are and what we're up to is sort right. of a lifelong mission. You know, for those of us who are lifelong learners and curious and always interested in learning, we're perpetually in the process of discovering who we are. Exactly. And in those ages, 18 to early 30s, 32, 34, especially now, I mean, when my mom was a kid, I was 10 by the time my mother was 34. But now people are often waiting to get married, waiting to have families, which I actually think is a great plan. Yeah. Because we're still changing and evolving so much during those times. And so I love it that that part of your focus is those young adults, that young adult period of time when we're still so much in the... Right discovery. How did that become included as a focus? Because usually when we think about young people, it's people who are younger than 18. Exactly. So how did that get expanded? Yeah. Well, I have to give credit to my colleagues, Steve Argue and Caleb Bruce. That was truly their dream child and baby because they are Steve Argue is an incredible professor at Fuller Theological Seminary and also just a research strategist as well at Fuller Youth Institute. So, and youth ministry is his jam. Like yeah. that's his baby. That's his focus. That's what he teaches on at Fuller and teaches a lot of PhD and master's level students about those things. So I think they are just really wanting to address the gap. Yeah. Like the true gap and blind spot yeah. in those age groups, because we see that there aren't spaces or even names for that group in churches, right. in orgs. Like, you know, it's always the singles group, the married group <laughs> and like the high school students, you know, right. and then there's everyone else in the gray area that's like, well, you know, figure it out. And even in doing research and trying to see just like the labs project I told you about, yeah. it's easier to find programs for what people are doing for high school students or for younger people right. all around. But 
like, well, what are you doing for this age range? Like you said, like the 20 to 34 year olds, it's so much harder to find. Where are these places? What are people doing? And I'm on this grant project with them as their DEI focused person and trying to just really help them synthesize and like disseminate where people are doing this work, especially people of color, because if there is research, it's mostly on like white spaces or it's not very focused, period. Like it's more on a broader meta basis. You know, it's difficult, but it just shows the need for that research so much and the need within the community to truly have more community and mentorship for younger older adult people. It's so awkward. It's like they're emerging. Because <laughs> right. we, we don't, we don't have a name for this yet. Exactly. Emerging adults. There's just so many words. And it's like, it's just for the, those that aren't doing those things. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And my stepsons, I have two biracial stepsons. They are both in that one's 28, one's 30. They're both in right. that gray area. Right. And neither one of them have yet truly figured out what's up. Exactly. So I can think about sort of all the kinds of, and as often happens, these are very different young men and the kinds of resources that would be useful and helpful to each of them would be remarkably different and just would be of enormous service. Yeah. Because it starts to feel like if you're not married or you're not like in college or you're not getting your graduate degree or PhD or what have you. You're not doing those things, but you still feel like you're happy and you're living your best life, whatever that looks like. Right. It's, it makes you almost feel like, well, I should be doing those things maybe because there's groups for those people. But right. I, like, am I doing something wrong? And right. where do I fit? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. As we continue to learn more about humans and the way our brain works, I got interested in neurobiology, gosh, maybe 15 years ago. And oh, amazing. Uh, It's just a fascinating world. And one of the things that we don't really think about with humans, but is very, very true, is that we are, in fact, animals, just like all of the other animals in the world. We have the gift of language and we have bigger brains, but we are still animals and we are herd animals. So this idea of belonging is and where do we fit? Right is so important. It's, I mean, it's important for us at every stage of our growth and development. And it's one of the things that I think is great around the DEI movement is that it has now often expanded. So it's now DEIB, diversity, Mm -hmm. equity, inclusion, and belonging. And I remember very clearly, I was 25 years old. I was living in New York City in the mid-1980s, late 1980s, which you know, I mean, New York City is still a hard place to live. <laughs> yes. In terms of sort of economics. Mm-hmm. So I was living in a one bedroom apartment with two other people. Oh, wow. In, we were south of Houston, east of A, which if you know New York City now, that's a very cool neighborhood. In the late 80s, it was still quite rough and tumble, you know, but it was the only place that we could afford to live. Sure. Yeah in a one bedroom apartment with three people. And I remember on my 25th birthday, having people talk about like a midlife crisis or a whatever crisis. I had my 25 year old crisis, which is sort of the only one I've (laughs) ever had for which I feel quite blessed. But I had this feeling like, wait, 25, that's a grown up 
age, which is what we think when we're 25. Looking back, right. we're very clear. Right. That is, like, oh, that's not kidding. a grown up age. Right. But when we're 25, <laughs> we think it is, right? Yeah, exactly. And this is not how grown ups live. Grown ups right. don't live three people in a one bedroom apartment, like bookcases that are made out of cinder blocks and plywood. That's not how right. grown ups live. And so I ended up actually moving back to Boston. I'd grown up in Cambridge and Massachusetts and moved back because I was like, I, I need to create a different life for myself. Right. I need to have right. a different place where I can find my belonging. Right. So I know that one of the things when we think about belonging, one of the things that you are also really passionate about is cultivating joy and authenticity. Yes. And so your face, because we are recording on Zoom, so Mm -hmm. I can see her. (laughs) If you want to be able to see us, you can actually go to Patreon and find our page, pay a little Mm -hmm. bit of money, become a supporter of the podcast, and you can see the video. But I I get to see you, Erin, as we are taping this. And as I was saying that, those Mm -hmm. words, cultivating joy and authenticity. There was a shift that happened in your face. So tell me what these words mean to you. Why is cultivating joy and authenticity important to you? Such a good question. And I do, joy and authenticity is are truly just everything to me. And I truly get the chills whenever I talk about joy and authenticity, because I really, truly feel like it is the zest and the importance of life. And Especially as African-American, as a Black woman, I've written on Black joy specifically as resistance and how important it is within our daily lives to cultivate that for sustainability and just for our day-to-day because the world can be such a hard and difficult just place. And we need joy in our lives in order to just keep going and to see the beauty all around us in the midst of all of the pain and suffering and things that can really just bring us down as people, and especially as people of color. But I think about that too in the workplace, because when it comes to joy and authenticity, I feel like those things can be so missed within the workplace and so pushed aside because it's not seen as important. And it's like, well, that we're not here to do that. We're here to work. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like, well, that's very counterintuitive and productive in my opinion. Right. And there's so many levels to that in the workplace. And I feel like Janine, we can talk about this for days, but I, (laughs) yeah. So buckle your seatbelts people. We are now having an 84 hour episode. (laughs) Join the Patreon and just watch. (laughs) Just watch the whole time. But I think what I immediately think about is that I think it was this past year or maybe the year before at maximum that the rule or passed that Black women were able to not be discriminated against for their hair in the workplace. (laughs) I feel like that was very recent. Ridiculously recent. Ridiculously recent. And I immediately think about that because I think about how as Black women and as people of color and just thinking about being ourselves and being our whole fully authentic selves when we go to work, if we feel like we have to really just curtail that and really conform that to a white normative lens, like professionalism, quote unquote, like we're supposed to put our hair back, supposed to be straight. It's supposed to be whatever we wear our like little studs, like right? we just little tone it earrings. down, right? Right, like just tone, just tone it down right. to because make everyone else. You're too much. Mm-hmm. Your hair is too much. 
your earnings are too much. It's just too much. So tone it down. Right. Tone it down to make everyone else feel uncomfortable, more comfortable. Yeah. And it's so, there's no other word. It's such bullshit. It is. And I mean, I can think as a white woman of all the times in my life when I have been told tone it down and how that impacts me. Right. But I still have all the privileges that come with being white and a woman who is being told to tone it down. Right. So, and when we think back culturally, you know, I think back to the 1970s when you weren't yet born (laughs) and Afros were a big deal and lots of people had Afros and like, yeah, it was a little bit connected with the black power movement, but it was also just connected with the African-American experience. Right. And men had Afros and women yeah. had Afros and yeah. young Jewish kids had Afros yeah. and anybody with hair with texture in it had big hair. And then at some point, I don't know what ridiculous thing happened. Something happened and it became, no, that's no longer okay. That's no longer acceptable. That's no longer what it means to go to work. That's no longer what professional people look like. Right. And so in reality, we all had to shift and the shifts that were imposed by the dominant culture on people of color were much more significant and severe and crushing to authenticity and crushing crushing to belonging. Exactly. And I think that's part of what is so great about this reemergence around belonging and reemergence around authenticity and joy and authenticity are so enmeshed. Exactly. Cannot be truly joyful if we are having to code switch, you know, we cannot be truly joyful if we are not able to express who we are. Right. Exactly. And so then I saw this woman a couple of days ago, walking down the street towards me and Her hair was a magnificent work of art. It stood out 10 inches, maybe as much as a foot from her head. Right. It was this amazing, this color not found in (laughs) the natural (laughs) world. Stunning. Yes. Yeah. Stunning. You know, this collection of golds and reds and blacks and browns and all these different colors. It was magnificent. Yeah. And I wanted to say to her, your hair is magnificent. Yeah. And because of all of the crap that exists in the world around Black women's hair in particular. Right. And all of the white black thing and all of the white women, black women. Yeah. Binary, the binary. Yeah. I like, I didn't know, obviously (laughs) I can't touch her hair. That definitely not. That's (laughs) an instinct that humans have. We want to touch something that we think is beautiful. We want to touch something that we think is different. We want to touch something, you know, we see a pregnant woman in the grocery store we want to touch her belly. Of course, we rein in that input. It's an expression of curiosity. When we were little kids, 
we wanted to touch everything. And when we were really little kids, we wanted to stick it in our mouths. So yeah, get to rein in that element of curiosity, because of course, mm -hmm. white people don't go around touching other white people's hair. That's a ridiculous right. idea. Touching somebody else's hair that is getting into their personal space. It's a ridiculous thing, just like touching yeah. a pregnant woman's belly that you don't know would be a ridiculous thing to do. Right. And I wanted to say something to honor her beauty yeah. and magnificence and hair. Yeah. And I didn't. A, I didn't know how it would be received. And I mm -hmm. didn't know, I didn't know what the right thing to do is. And I think that's one of the tricky things about living at this moment in time, where for those of us who are paying attention and those of us who for whom it's important to honor the authenticity of other people, to honor the lived experience of other people. Language is so formative and so important. Right. And we don't want to say the wrong thing. But like I was told the other day, you can't use, you can't refer to something as a bullet point because it oh, can be triggering. Interesting. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And that was my response. Huh. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And I feel like it's also tricky to know, yeah. like, where is it important to be careful of our language? Where is it important to do everything that we can to not trigger a response in somebody else? And where do we need to find new language? So if we're not going to call right. it a bullet point, you know, like, just like what we do don't we do? have a language for what that period of age is in between yeah. in our early thirties, like, right. so then what do I call that little dot? Right, right. Because <laughs> right. that, that's what we've been calling it. So what's right. now our new languaging around that? Right. And I feel like we are sometimes getting hung up on being afraid to create joy to, I mean, if right. I could have said to that woman, oh yeah. my God, you are beautiful and your hair is magnificent. Yeah. Walk on with your bad self. Like yeah. probably yeah. that would have just made her happy. Totally. It would have made me happy to be able yeah. to honor her, but I got caught in that fear. Right. So I just lay that all at your feet. What yeah. thoughts yeah. have you in all your brilliance about this challenge that we all face? Right. And that was such a beautiful framing. And I so appreciate that story because it is the fear that we have of all the language and of all of just the controversy of everything and all the isms that are have always been in our world but are so much more pervasive right now right that keep us from having true authentic relationship i think with other people that we need to learn from and i think women uplifting women is just like the most powerful just such an amazing awesome thing that needs to be done more but I think what gets missed, like you said, with the fear is that when we have, when we're able to bring our full selves to any space that allows us to get to know our fellow colleagues, our other people around us better. Right. And it helps them to also bring their fully joyful, authentic selves. When they see you doing it, I just feel like it's contagious. Yeah. So when that's brought to the table in whatever level or form that you're able to, I feel like it just opens up so much space yeah. to create more conversation, to create more understanding. Because if we're just all being ourselves and we're creating space for mistakes, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, like, what do I do? I think that's such a vulnerable, good time to just talk about it. And I understand safe spaces are created. They, they have to be earned. So it, it's hard to just come out with that and not knowing someone, of course. Right. But I think bringing all of that to the table, you start to create and form relationship 
And that I feel like that is the way to really dispel the fear in order to create more understanding and to really yeah. just push all, like you said, push the bullshit to the side, you know, <laughs> and I, like you start to feel more comfortable and say, Hey, I am going to compliment her because she is gorgeous. Right. And I love her hair and she needs to know it no matter what. And I just, you know, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, I think in order to really just eradicate that fear is through being able to be yourself. Yeah. And being safe, feeling safe enough to do so. You know, when we have all these rules and stuff placed on us, we're not going to be accepted. If we have a nose ring or if we walk in and our hair is a different color or what have you. Like you're already like, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to put my head down and I'm just going to do what I need to do. And right. I'm going to say as little as possible and just get work done, whatever that right. means. Versus finding time like for me to be myself, whatever that looks like. I would never work for a space that wouldn't allow me to have my nose ring, you know, or would say that you can't do this or that. Right. And when you know that everyone is on the same page, at least with like, we're all just coming in this as as each other. Right. I feel like that creates more space to create better understanding and a more harmonious space. Yeah. You know, and I feel like part of what you're pointing to is this idea of grace. Right. Yes. Is that, you know, we get to choose to have grace with each other, with ourselves. If we Mm -hmm. say the wrong thing, we get to own that and apologize if we trigger somebody else unintentionally. And they get to hold us in a place of grace as well, an assumption of positive intent. Exactly. Right. I feel like collectively, we have a ways to go. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. We do indeed. In the creation of that. And I love what you're pointing to, you know, so had that event on the street all gone differently and I had taken that opportunity to be courageous. Right. Which we take that opportunity in our lives, all kinds of ways. Right. And it would have been an opportunity for me to be vulnerable because like, I can comment on any woman's shoes <laughs> uh-huh. and yeah. not think about it as long as the comment that I'm making is a positive comment. Like, right. You know, right. Cute yeah. kicks, I love your boots, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But because of the conversation happening around hair mm-hmm. at the moment, I mean, and I remember a time I dyed my hair like a crazy color of like mm-hmm. orangey red. Okay. And the big boss in our office came into a meeting that I was in and mm-hmm. I remember being like <laughs> startled because <laughs> like it was a crazy color. Okay. Uh-huh. It was a little bit more of a crazy color than I was intending it to be. But, okay. You know, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. It happens, you know, whatever. Yeah. And like he had a reaction and I said, I know, like, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. But there was no element of shame. There was no element of having to code switch, having to hide, Mm -hmm. having to Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I better pull it back and wear a hat until it all either mellows out or grows out or whatever. And that's both, I'm looking for my words. I mean, that is a gift that can be, should be, must be extended to all of us. Yeah. So important. As frequent listeners know, I'm a woman who has struggled with my weight my whole life. And being a heavier human in the United States of America as a woman, 
it's not okay. I am often made to feel like mm-hmm. there is something wrong with me because of my physicality mm-hmm. having nothing to do with who I am as a human. Right. And I think about what that pain is like. And mm-hmm. then I think about what the pain is like for women of color and for Black men mm-hmm. who have been so marginalized in a way that's very different from the way. Mm-hmm that Black women have been marginalized. And all of the things that are said about Latino women and Mm -hmm. Asian men and people who are gay or lesbian or transgender, all of the othering that we do. And one of the things that I long for, and I am aware that we are yet far from achieving, I was talking with a Latino woman yesterday about some of these realities. And she was talking about the Olympics of pain and how we can often fall into a, yeah, well, my pain is more important, more deep, more meaningful, bigger than your pain and how, and what our opportunity is to move through that. I think we have a lot of work to do to honor people's pain and honor people's experience and then move through it, not beyond it, not to pass it by, but to move Mm -hmm. through it to a place where everyone's pain has value and where we can, where ultimately what we're talking about is not our pain, Mm -hmm. but our belonging, Mm -hmm. our authenticity, Mm -hmm. our opportunities for joy, what makes our life meaningful. Right. We grow in times of pain and struggle, and that's not what makes our life meaningful. So do you have any thoughts around all of that or ideas around how we honor people's experiences and we move through that? Oh, that's so good. I think it's important, like you said, to honor each other's pain and to move through it. I love Mm -hmm. how you said not to move past it, not Mm -hmm. to blow over it, but to move through it. And I think it's important to center voices and to really listen to them Mm -hmm. and to learn from, because storytelling is so important, I think. And it's such a beautiful way to learn from each other. And mm-hmm. I actually write about that in the guide that we talked about earlier with my incredible colleagues, Jennifer Gedaldana and Kat Armas. We talk about how storytelling is important in order to learn from each other and also to be able to recognize blind spots we may have not had before in learning about different cultures, ethnicities, experiences. And so, and I, in ooh, table fellowship, I will talk about table fellowship all day. I know that I'm a chef, so food is very important to me, but I think it is such a beautiful, sacred experience to be able to storytell through the good, the bad, the ugly, and to do that over food yeah. and in order to share a meal together. And I think it's such a healing act yeah. to do in order to listen and learn with and together in a collective way. And I think that's just a really beautiful just symbolic and beautiful act to do in order to be able to listen and move through things Uh and to make it a consistent practice. Because I feel like that's how we learn and heal. And in the midst of moving through things, we need to heal. You know, we need to listen, we need to heal. And that's how we grow together. 
So I think that's really, really important. And I think storytelling is often overlooked, but so underutilized. And so I think that is truly one of the things that I shout to the rooftops and in terms of listening and learning and working with youth and doing all of those things is that storytelling element that I feel is really important to utilize within this work. Yeah, I love that. And man, the power of stories and the stickiness of stories, like stories are so much more sticky in our brains, so much easier to remember another person connected to their story. Right. And I did a great episode. I don't remember right now what episode number it was, but it was about storytelling and the power of storytelling. Right. Connecting to each other and also the negative impact of storytelling. When we Mm. tell ourselves stories, when we make up stories about somebody else, about our own experience, about, well, this happened because fill in the blank. And then we live into that story as though that is the truth. I did episode 25 was me telling a piece of my own story. Mm. about how I have lived into some of those stories about myself as though they were true and yeah. the negative impact that that ha- has had right. on my life. Yeah, that's good. That's very and, good. You know, so I think both the positive and the negative aspect of story is such, as you said, it's such a great way to connect. It's such a great way. I mean, I think especially when you're dealing with younger, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't think that, you know, so I was about to say, especially dealing with younger people, stories are so great because it's, we know how to tell stories and we grow up as little people often hearing stories and having stories told to us and bedtime stories read to us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we hear stories in school and there's so much storytelling as young people. And I think I'm going to take that idea back that it's especially helpful when we're dealing with young people, because when I read that story about you, like, oh, she got mm-hmm. to participate in the great <laughs> food truck race. Oh my God. That's <laughs> cool. Uh-huh. Right. Like, yeah. That's such a cool piece of your story. Right. That immediately because of me and my husband and all right. kinds of other things, probably yeah. that I'm not even consciously aware of. I was just like, I was immediately even more connected to you and your awesomeness and your beauty and your brilliance Mm. than Mm. I was before, because Mm. here was another point of intersection. Right. And the best ways that we find those, I think, are through story. Right. And it does exactly that, right? Like we find these similarities in each other, but we don't know it until we talk more and we find out more about each other and we find out similarities, we find out differences, but we find out that we have so much more in common too than we know sometimes. And (laughs) the beauty that creates in someone that you may have never had a relationship with or because of whatever reason, it just creates such a beautiful connecting point. And yeah, that was such a perfect example because I I wrote that, I shared that and we didn't talk about that prior, but I was like, oh, she's so excited. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. It's really beautiful. Storytelling doing its thing in real time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think about like, we think back to these important 
TV shows as sort of iconic in changing a cultural conversation around right. about Will and Grace and how that right. show helped right. change a cultural conversation around what it means to be gay. We mm-hmm. think about the Archie Bunker All in the Family and then the shows that came out of that, the Jeffersons and the right. way that suddenly for white mainstream America, it was like, oh, but I like those characters. I like those people. Mm-hmm. And they're not that different from me. Right. And, huh, okay, as an important cultural shift that was happening in the 1970s. And I am curious, I'm not sure that there's anything now happening. I mean, in part, at both of those times, Will and Grace was probably happening still when most people didn't have 800 channels. And right. all of the family and the Jeffersons was definitely happening when people had like three or four or two channels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so true. Yep. You know, yes. but I think about like, are there those sort of iconic things that are pushing society in the ways that those had the ability to do? And I think there are shows, you know, I think about the L word and I think about I think it's about the trans experience and oh, the trans experience. Okay. And there's so many different shows that are about the Latino experience and the black experience and Mm -hmm. the fill in the blank experience. And because in some ways the exposure, the world of television was so much smaller back then. Right. Everybody was watching those shows. There were not other options. Right. Are you aware of things, you know, so we will put in the show notes, some connections to some of the things that you and I have talked about, including the book that you wrote with your magnificent colleagues. Are there sort of cultural touchstones that either in your work with young people or in emerging adults or just in your experience that you Mm -hmm. feel like would be really great resources for people? That's really good. When you say cultural touchstones, just like we were talking about with the shows, right? Like just really staples, like cultural moments. You know, I immediately think of, and it's funny that I say this because I didn't watch all of it. I think I saw like one or two episodes, but I think Insecure with Issa Uh Rae has been one of those like kind of iconic showing the experience of just Black women. I think in that truly insecure age range (laughs) for Black women living in that space. So that's my first like thought on that. There's so much, like you said, I mean, it was so easy back yeah, in the day back when in the we day. had like 12 channels right. and now we have like all the streaming services and everything. And you know what? My other immediate thought, and this is not a TV show, but I think it is such an incredible show to watch as a cultural moment. And I think just understanding while at the same time being classic uh-huh. High on the Hog on Netflix. Huh. I don't know if you've heard of it. But I haven't. It's an incredible show about the history and the current, like present day of African-American food in the U.S. Uh-huh. And where the food, like certain staples come from and Oprah came from Africa and all these things and how Black people use food within when they were enslaved and in order to themselves and their family and the soul element of that and how it came to the U.S. Uh It's a docuseries and it is probably the most incredible docuseries I've seen on food and especially Black cultural 
like African-American food and the journey that it's taken to where it is now, it is powerful stuff. It's really, really good. So I think that's, those are the two things I think of immediately. But when it comes to youth ministry and like youth culture and things, I think I'm going to need to think about it yeah. a little bit right. in terms of what kind of cultural staple elements I think I can bring to the table with that on youth specifically. Right. Well, yeah. all of your brilliant ideas that you come up with in the future. Yes. We will include them at the end of the show notes. So please oh, go and check those out. Definitely. Well, we are running up on an hour, which is what yeah. happens when I connect with people who I just enjoy and feel so yeah. much resonance with and mm. so much can take so much awe and inspiration from and feel like I get to be authentic with and amen. Good. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for sharing of yourself so joyfully and selflessly. And thank you for your brilliance. Thank you for everything that you are doing with young people and the ministry that you are embodying in the world. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored, so, so honored to be here with you and to have this just truly incredible, joyful conversation, like you said. And thank you for all the beautiful work you are doing as well. And for this podcast, it's such a gift. And I'm just so grateful to be here to add to your brilliance that you bring <laughs> to the world and all that you do. So thank you. I'm truly honored to be in this space with you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, this ends this episode of the Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> we could go all day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like, no, tell me more about your eyes. <laughs> tell me more about my eyes. <laughs> more about your hair. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So I am Janine Hamner Holman, and this has been the cost of not paying attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Anxiety